0: This is the Get Booked podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode one thirty-seven, and we are recording on June nineteenth. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, hello. You, would you tell the people about our
1: extra special episode today? Um, I will. And do you know what <laughs> just occurred to me is that it's it's Juneteenth. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't plan this, but we didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> no, but today's episode is is uh, dedicated to Octavia Butler. read likes. Um, yeah, we we've been kind of working through some of the most commonly asked authors as it were, like we did our Neil Gaiman read alike show earlier this year. We've done Jane Austen, a few others. Um, and Octavia Butler comes up a lot, as she should. And so we thought we would put together some of our favorite read alikes for her, which turned out to be harder than I thought it was gonna be not gonna lie. <laughs> She's kind of singular, um which is kind of the point, I guess. But yes. So yeah, so here we are doing an Octavia Butler read alike show on Juneteenth. I like that's a nice coincidence. I like that it. is
0: good. We are being smiled upon by some—I don't know—yeah,
1: coincidence fair. I don't yeah. know. Coincidence fair, <laughs> sure, <laughs> whatever. So, what are you reading? Um, Nothing to do with Octavia Butler. <laughs> I, last night, I finished *Wicked* and *The Wallflower*, which is Sarah MacLean's uh, new book. It's the start of her newest series, which is called *The Barnacle Bastards*. And I gotta tell you, if I Like, if I was just handed this book without the cover and, like, not told who the author was, I would have known it was a Sarah McLean. Mm. It feels like vintage Sarah McLean. It's so great. Um, It's about sort of like a reformed mean girl named Felicity Faircloth. Amazing. Um, who was actually one of the side characters in a previous book because Sarah does that a lot which is great. Um very si- very side character though and it's all explained. So you don't need to have read other books to to make sense of this one. But um but yeah, she's like she's on the shelf. She's 27, she or is she 29? I can't remember something like that. She's well on the shelf. She's not going to land anybody and she's been sort of like ostracized by her fancy society friends and is super bummed about it. Like she misses being part of The in crowd, um, Mm -hmm. and and a new duke is turns up in town. Nobody knows much about him, and um, she's at this party and she gets in sort of a spat with her former mean kid friends. And she's like, "Well, too bad because I'm gonna marry this duke. Like we're already we're engaged, and they're definitely not. Like they're (laughs) they're super not. She hasn't even met him. Like, (laughs) and so she just announces, "Oops, whoops, (laughs) yeah." And then, um. Later that night, a man who she like briefly met under mysterious circumstances at the party turns up in her bedroom and is like, I will land you that duke, but you have to like follow my rules for this thing and the dude who turns up in her bedchamber is named devil because of course he is sure and he's the bastard son of a duke and like like owns Covent garden like runs this like smuggling ring out of Covent garden and gets in fights and carries like a, a walking cane that's actually a sword he's great <laughs> um, i want i want a walking cane that's actually i know a sword. it's got like a lion like, carved like lion's head I, it's like very iconic um and yeah, it is. It's classic Sarah McLean, Like he has a dark past and Felicity has to like find her own spirit and her own way in the world. And there's all kinds of hijinks and very steamy scenes. And I just it was so much fun. I loved it. Um, so, yeah, that's Wicked and the Wallflower by Sarah McLean. I'm already developing theories about the ultimate arc of this of the series. Like, oh. I, yeah, I, it's it's in my brain. So what are you reading?
0: Um, I am reading Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. I love that
1: book. Um,
0: The subtitle of which is A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. Uh, And I'm reading this for Persist, which is Book Riot's feminist book club that we run entirely on Instagram, which is super fun. I hosted the first – it's quarterly. We do this quarterly. And I hosted the first round, you know, last quarter. um, (laughs) And our associate editor, Sharifa, is hosting – This round, um, and we just yesterday did the first discussion of the first three chapters of Eloquent Rage. She did. I was just there watching um, and did a great job. The conversation was really, really fantastic. And it should still be up on our Instagram account in, like, the stories section um, if you want to go watch that conversation. And then the next three chapters where she's going to talk about – I keep saying we, like I'm having any – to do with this i'm not doing anything um she what sharifa will be discussing the next three chapters next monday at five eastern so i'm loving it so far there's like an entire chapter about whiteness and the babysitter's club that i loved like i am not black but i really related to a lot of the things she said about like the token brown characters in that in the that series and like why little black girls love that that like series of books so much even though it it doesn't you know like speak to their experiences at all and i you know that's just really resonated with me anyway it's great go read it okay Eloquent rage. Very good. Mm -hmm. Moving on. So how the show works. As I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading reading recommendations. Not this week, though. This week is just about Octavia (laughs) Butler. But usually you can send us your questions and your reading recommendation requests. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookright.com or drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And these can be for anything. If you're traveling and need a book recommendation about wherever it is you're going to. Um, I actually really like those questions because we can see, like, where what places are trendy now? Because yes. suddenly we'll have like fourteen recommendation requests for Croatia, you know, um, and or for like your book club or gift for somebody, whatever. If it's a time sensitive request, please put that in the subject line of the email or note it in big capital letters in the first line of your uh, request if you're using the form. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it in time or if we've already answered your question. So keep an eye on your inbox. Um, I also want to mention the $500 giveaway that we're running on the site right now, uh, which is a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. Um, it just needs to be a bookstore that has gift cards. <laughs> um, so your local indie, if you want to do Amazon, you want to do Barnes & Noble, whatever. That's all cool. It runs through the 21st, So, which is, I think, the day the show is going up. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So today's your last day. <laughs> go, go, gadget, enter. Go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. Um, okay. Okay. Finally, we have a few pieces of feedback from some of our listeners. Um, for the person who wanted a literary, non-male-focused sci-fi, uh, Miranda, a listener, recommends Yunha Ha Lee, uh, which is the Nine Fox Gambit series, which Jen loves. And I also love, but Jen has read all of them, right? You've read all of yes, them. I yes, I have. I've only read the first one. Um, and The trader the Baru Corm- Cormorant. The trader Baru Cormorant. There we go. Which I have not read. Um, Yet, yeah, which is by Seth Dickinson. Um, and for the person who wanted historical mysteries with a national treasure vibe, Miranda recommends The Swan Thieves and The Historian. And then one more, Summer, who is an insider, had a recommendation for the, the question who was asking for fiction for New Zealand. Um, she says, In the Land of the Long White Cloud by Sarah Lark. It's book one in a saga that begins with a woman who's like a mail order bride when New Zealand is first being settled in Christchurch. And then the trilogy trilogy follows her and her descendants' lives as they grow in New Zealand. Um, trigger warning there for domestic violence. <clears throat> okay. Right. Still you. So, <laughs> yes. Still me. Still me. Um, Before I get to my first sponsor, I kind of want to say a little bit about how we organized these picks for Octavia Butler read-alikes, which is that we did not organize them at all. (laughs) Um, Jen has has read-alikes for, like, all of Octavia's major titles, right? Mm. And I just picked themes from her work and then picked books that were similar in theme. So... Hopefully between the two of us, we should have something for everybody, every form of Octavia Butler fan. Um, so I am going to talk about our first sponsor, and then I'm going to stop talking for the rest <laughs> of my life because, oh my God, um, I'm really excited about our first sponsor, actually. This sounds really great. So it's Number One Chinese Restaurant by Lillian Lee. And this is a literary fiction novel about the Beijing Duck House in Rockville, Maryland, which is not only, you know, the go-to solution for hunger pangs and a beloved setting for family celebrations, it is also its own world inhabited by waiters and kitchen staff who have been fighting and loving each other and aging within the walls decades. So this number one Chinese restaurant looks beyond the red tablecloths, the silkscreen murals, you know, of everybody's favorite Chinese place to the unforgettable story about youth and aging and parents and immigration and children and all the ways that our families can really destroy us, but also keep us really grounded and happy. Um, so of course, as I'm sure you can tell by the synopsis, this has a universal themes about family and money and love and expectations of your parents. Um, and it's also a really fresh immigration story it looks inside of the local you know like your local chinese joint which it's a story that's never really been told before um and it's also funny and i'm just i don't know i'm really excited about this this is lillian lee's first novel she has an mfa from the university of michigan she's also a bookseller at literati in ann arbor which is like a beloved indie bookstore um so go check that out that's number one chinese restaurant by lillian lee and i'm gonna go get that
1: yeah um, All right, Jen, you, I'm going to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm already sitting, but I'm just going to lean back. Indeed, indeed. Well, okay, so before I dive into my first pick, I think I, I just want to say on behalf of both Amanda and myself that we decided – we were not going to pick N.K. Jemison for one of our picks, and it's not because she's not an amazing author. She obviously is. But if you look online and people talk about, like, oh, you know, the heirs to Octavia Butler, she's always the first one that people pick, which is great, but, like, we wanted to broaden the search a little bit. So consider this, like, a blanket recommendation for N.K. Jemison, who you should definitely be reading. Um, but that is, that's, you know, we're we're going to talk about other authors as well. Um, okay, yeah, like Amanda said, I did, I like, I need a method for this kind of madness when we podcast these theme shows. <laughs> and so I started trying to map specific titles, and it really ended up being more themes from specific titles because Octavia Butler really is a singular writer. Um, but I do have a sort of just general pick, and that is An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon. Which comes with a trigger warning for sexual assault, although I'm not going to get into that in the description right now. Um, But this book is, I think... I mean, obviously they're even marketing it as a successor to Octavia Butler, but I think, it's, I think that is correct. Um, and here's why. This is a generation ship story. So like a, a, a giant spaceship sent from Earth that is meant to be inhabited for many generations by humanity as they try to get to a new planet to settle because they have killed Earth. That's a pretty straightforward trope, right? Like g- generation ship stories are are, are, are a beloved standard of sci-fi. But what River Solomon is doing here is just kind of exploding it in a really interesting way. Um, and and instead of it being sort of like you know that post-racial society where there may be these like you know it's like Battlestar Galactica political intrigue or there's aliens or something, instead humanity has brought all of its worst tendencies with it onto the generation ship. So it's organized where, you know, the lower decks are cold and bleak and short on supplies. And they are, of course, inhabited by the brown settlers. And then the upper decks are like manicured and have golf courses and mansions. And those are inhabited by the white settlers. And there is a sort of indentured servitude sharecropping Basically thinly veiled slavery situation going on. The food is rationed for the lower deckers. They're controlled by brutal guards who have all the weapons. It's a really dark, dark place. Book, obviously, um, and you're following Aster, who is neurodiverse. Um, the sort of implication to me was that she was on the autism spectrum potentially, and she has been trained in medicine, um, so she has a little bit more freedom than most. Uh, she can, you know, kind of roam from deck to deck, which all have their own sort of subcultures within these stratification, the you know societal stratifications. Um, but she's kind of a loner, and you know, she doesn't really have an easy time communicating with others. Um, she, her words never seem to get across the way she wants them to. And so she, she spends a lot of time by herself, but she does have a few very close friends and family, and those relationships are beautiful to see. Um, and one day, she and her friend discover that her mother's journals, and her mother died when Astra was, Astra was very small, um, her mother's journals have a code in them. Uh, and the code seems to tell some things about the ship that will change everything. Um, and Aster knows that what's going on in the ship is very wrong. It's not. It's it's very obvious to her that this is the worst. Um, but she also is not necessarily like a born rebel. She really wants to keep herself to herself and and do the things that she's interested in doing in within the space that she's managed to carve out for herself. So you watch her as she sort of struggles not only to continue to be part of a community, but also, like, what is what is possible for her to do um, in a lot of different ways. And the characters are so amazing in this book. There's a few supporting characters who you get an occasional point-of-view glimpse of that are just amazing. Um, and the ending is still, like, every time somebody finishes b- this book, I'm like, oh, let's talk about the ending. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so it's, yeah, it's really... It's really intense. It's kind of like if you took Octavia Butler and then Snowpiercer, right? The train dystopia and then like mashed it together. (laughs) Like this is something similar to what you would get, but it's very, very unique. um, And I just thought it was amazing. So that's an Unkindness of Ghosts by Reverse Solomon.
0: Okay. My first pick is Mem by Bethany C. Morrow, which is a new release that came out this year. And I pulled out this theme that Octavia Butler Uh, that I remember from the Exogenesis books, but that really she deals with in, I think, all the books that I've read of hers, Um, that's like the effects of technology on our humanity and whether or not advances in technology, you know, are any good for us at all, Um, specifically when it comes to, like, genetic kind of considerations. Um, MEM isn't necessarily about genetics, but it is about extracting stuff out of people (laughs) and what those Things end up being. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, this takes place in the kind of like the jazz age, like Art Deco, 19 teens, 1920s. Um, And it is a science fiction novel. It takes place in Montreal. And the main character's name is Dolores. And she is an extract. In this universe, you can pay the rich can pay scientists lots and lots of money to have their memories extracted. Um, Most people choose to extract painful memories that they don't want to have anymore, but some people do extract good memories that they want to save and bequeathed to their children. Um, uh, and so you can do this thing. And when you extract your memories, they live on in the form of a, kind of a clone, of a being who looks just like you, but who doesn't have any con- like individual consciousness. They're very sort of zombie-like. Um, they just live in that moment of that memory over and over until they expire. Some of them don't live very long. Some of them live for a couple of years, but eventually they expire. And then you, as the person who paid to have this thing done, can leave your extracts in a vault. They call it the vault. People who watch over them are called the bankers. Um, and then you can go off and live your life without that memory in your head at all. Um, Dolores is an extract. The difference is that she is the only extract with consciousness. So she woke up after this procedure having the memory that she that was removed from the original person's brain. Um, but she also has her own her own you know thoughts and feelings, which is completely rare. So they let her out to kind of live. They give her an apartment. Um, They give her, you know, like she's allowed to socialize. She has her own wardrobe. She makes her own choices. She renames herself. But then one day she gets summoned back to the vault because her creator, the person, the, the like original Dolores, wants to write over her with a new memory. And so there's this question of what... Is, a per- is she a person or not, you know? Um, it's very, like, kind of Gattaca-y, almost. Mm, like,
1: yeah.
0: Gattaca and if Octavia Butler wrote Gattaca in the Jazz Age, <laughs> if <laughs> Octavia Butler wrote Gattaca with, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald over her shoulder. I don't know. It's very hard to, like, pinpoint. Um, but it's, a sh- it's, it's short. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a novella necessarily, but it's about 200 pages. I read it in one sitting, but it is so fascinating. And I really love the setting of... You know, Montreal in like 1920. I I don't think I've ever read anything set in that particular time and place. And it gave it a really interesting flavor. Like, normally, when you're reading these kinds of scientific or sci fi novels, considering like genetic stuff or um, anything having to do with like human engineering, they're very futuristic. Um, But this was set in like this very soft kind of atmosphere of like, fur coats and gin, you know, and it's, it's almost, it's anachronistic in a really kind of jarring way that I think is purposeful and really, really smart. So that's Mem by Bethany C. Morrow.
1: I could not agree more with everything you just said. It's so good. I love that book. Um, okay. Let's see. My next pick, uh, Fledgling by Octavia Butler was, I think, Is my first memory of reading her? It's possible I read a short story earlier than that. But but yeah, Fledgling kind of blew my mind. It was the most subversive... You know, just completely unexpected vampire novel I have ever read, including to date. Like, I, and I've read a fair number of vampire novels. Um, and I was trying to think of, you know, an, another book that did that, that takes again this, you know, sort of classic or standard and then explodes it. And Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones does that, I think, for werewolf stories. Amanda has definitely talked about this book before, but, like, I... It's so perfect for this. Um, This book comes with a trigger warning for domestic violence. I was telling Amanda when we were prepping, I was like, oh, all of my books for this basically come with trigger warnings. And we we're like, well, that's kind of also Octavia Butler. That's like, yeah, her, very her books are not <laughs> easy, and a yeah. lot of them are very uncomfortable and do have triggering stuff in them. So, you know, the, here we are. Um... But man, Mongrels. Okay, this book. So it is really interesting because I think when I was thinking about what werewolf stories normally do, there's really two sort of main themes for werewolf stories. uh, Like, main themes. I'm not saying there are only two total. I'm saying there are two main themes. And one of them is that, like, werewolves are, like, the horror creatures, right? They're dark, they're gonna kill you, they're gonna hunt you down and bite you, and you're gonna go crazy, and you're not gonna be able to control yourself, and they're, like, you know, the scary, scary. And then there's sort of the romanticized werewolf, right? Like, the, the lead hero of the paranormal romance is a werewolf, and, like, that's interesting, too. But what Mongrels does that I don't know I've seen anybody do Do before with a werewolf story is make it both horror-ish, but also very like there's no romance here, but they're also not unequivocally horror tropes. Like it's it's a very humanized sort of horror. And that is incredibly hard to do, I think, and really compelling. Um, and it means this book is hard to read because boy is it gross like there are scenes that i just really like i if you had asked me you know if i would read them i would be like no i'm not gonna read that (laughs) (laughs) really gross like body horror and like like pus things and um it's nasty. It's nasty. But it's so deliberate and so well deployed that you're just kind of like, well, I guess I'm going with this. I cannot stop reading. It's about a family. Um, uh, the young boy who is the main character lives with his Aunt Libby and Uncle Darren. And um, and they are on the run from the law because uh, um, Darren it had like an altercation with a cop that did not end well. And so now they just kind of are moving around for forever. Um, and he's, you know, he's in and out of school. And he, the book actually doesn't go in straight linear order. So you get him at different times in his childhood and then early teens. And it's really, really well paced. and And he grew up listening to his grandfather tell stories that he thought were just stories. About werewolves. But then, when his grandfather dies, he discovers that, like, these these were stories based on fact and often were twisted versions of the truths. So part of what he's doing is unraveling the truths that are buried in the stories that his grandfather told him or that his uncle and aunt have told him. And he also is not sure if he's going to change into a werewolf or not. Um, so, And he wants it in the way that all little kids want you know, the special power or the thing that they see their family doing. And his aunt and uncle really do not want it for him because it's a really hard, complicated life. Um, And it's told with such a sense of humor, like gallows humor, but very funny moments in the gross moments as well some of them are the same moments um some of them are gross and funny like it's a really fascinatingly done book and I'm gonna be thinking about it for such a long time it's yeah it's just real good uh so that is Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones
0: okay my next pick um I pulled out of a uh, well, all of them. <laughs> but probably uh, Parable of the Sower, that, that trilogy. Um, trilogy? Duology? It's two. Parable of the Talents, two. Not three. Yeah. Um, And the theme that I pulled out of that is, you know, bad things have happened to America and a woman is our only hope. Oops-a-doodle. And so my book for that is Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse, which I will say does not come out until June 26th. So you need to wait a week. You'll be fine. And I am going to take – this is just a preview of all the books because I'm on all the books that week and I will be talking about it. So if, you know, repeats bother you across podcasts, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Um, So Trail of Lightning takes place in near future uh, America. Where it's kind of climate fiction. It's not kind of. It is climate fiction. Where the uh, you know climate change, the detrimental effects of climate change have come to pass. Most of the um, coasts are totally flooded, and so the Navajo Reservation, that's like in the middle of the country, has become totally reborn. Like it's where people have fled from the coasts, looking for uh, you know refugees, looking for somewhere to go. Have all come to the Navajo Reservation. Giant walls surround it now and also the gods and heroes and monsters of navajo uh legends are, are are back and walking the land and they're calling this the sixth world um and our main character's name is maggie she is a monster hunter she's a navajo monster hunter who is um mentored is probably not strong enough a word like trained you know uh, by a demigod monster hunter whose name I can't remember um, who she has fallen in love with but she is um, not uh, (laughs) like an innocent I mean nobody who goes around like slaying monsters can be super innocent but it's sort of like a Buffy situation where this darkness Uh, This dark part of her that enjoys her job becomes so outsized that her mentor abandons her. Uh, And so for the past like year, she's been living in a trailer alone, not really sure what to do with herself. Um, And then one night, a small town on the reservation calls on her as like a last resort because everyone knows that she's a little bit crazy um, and dangerous and frightening. Uh, They call on her as a last resort because a little girl has gone missing and they suspect that the little girl was taken by a monster. So Maggie takes the job because she's got nothing else to do, right? And when she goes, she finds the monster, kills the monster, um, and then discovers basically that she ha- she has that this monster is a sign of of much worse things to come. She can't figure out what it is. She's never seen it before, so she takes it like she heads it and takes the head off to a medicine man who she knows, this old man who's been like a, a father figure to her, and he has some not hopeful things to say about it and he pairs her up with his grandson named Kai who is himself a medicine man in training um, and together they go off to unravel the clues of like what's happening um, with this monster obviously some larger power has unleashed it and like what bad thing is coming and all of that is happening on this like backdrop of post-apocalyptic America and like the money issues that that would, cause, you know, you don't have any fuel, water is a big problem, everyone is living in the desert because all of the coasts are flooded and terrible and uninhabitable, uh, racial issues are still, uh, like, uh, not aggrandized, that's not a word, um, obviously still exists but are now, like, outsized more than, even than they are now because everybody's also struggling to survive, so all of that in, like, one big mishmash of monster hunting, I just loved it. I will say that it is super violent and the book opens with violence against a child, like a, a little girl. So if you are weak of tummy, I don't know that this is necessarily for you. Um, but, you know, you could say the same thing about Parable of the Sower. Lots of violence against children, not necessarily for people who, who aren't um, able to stomach that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, June 26th, I highly go, just pre-order it. You know, like you're, you're listening to this, you're probably near your computer, just get on it, pre-order it, please. Okay, that's all. So that's Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse.
1: I do want to read that. I need to get a copy. Um, Yeah, so Parable of the Sower is related to my next pick, Only in that it is a sort of near-future version of America, though. Octavia Butler didn't really do fantasy, right? Most of her books are squarely in the sci-fi field. There is always an argument about kindred to be had because time travel is Um, (laughs) wibbly-wobbly. But she didn't do straight-up magic, usually. Um, And my pick is Brown Girl in the Ring by Nella Hopkinson. And I think that this... In terms of themes, yeah. Like, it it definitely works. Um, This book takes place in a future Toronto where uh, the inner city has really been abandoned by the upper classes. They've all moved out to the suburbs and um, it's just kind of crumbling and it's left, you know, the working class and, you know, the often minorities to sort of fend for themselves. And, of course, there is a lot of, you know, drug use, and there's gangs and violence, and there's one sort of lead guy who's running the whole violent druggy show, Um, and he is rumored to have special powers um, that are part of why he is in charge of everything. And you are following a young woman who is... um, T. Jean is sort of trying to figure out what her life is going to look like. She has had a baby um, with a man who she's not sure she wants to stay with. In fact, she's broken up with him again because he's involved in the drug trade and she just doesn't want anything to do with it. He's also a user. Um, And she's just like, this is not not what I want for me. This is not what I want for my child. Like, I'm leaving you. So she moves back in with her grandmother who wants her to learn the sort of – it's like voodoo-ish, uh, like medicine, you know, herbal stuff. And she's she's a really important figure in the community. Um, she helps heal people when they can't get access to other medicines. And she wants Tijin to settle down and like learn the tr- family trade, and you know, just like do that. Um, but Tijin is not super interested in that either. She's still really trying to find her own way, and she. Uh, so her, her ex decides he's going to pull one last job that's going to earn him enough money to move them all out to the suburbs. He's going to get clean. Like, it's all going to be great. Um, except that's not what happens at all, uh, inevitably. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a very... like Caribbean folklore influenced. There's, you know, gods who get involved and there's magic and there's zombies and there's all kinds of rituals and it's really rich. It's a beautifully... Like rich world that Hopkinson has built here, um, and as you watch Eugene get pulled into this sort of battle, like of for good versus evil, um, and try to find her way through it, it's so compelling. Uh, it's just really, it's really well done. And there is a lot of magic, but you also see this very grounded, real vision of what it does look like when the people with money just pull out of a section of a city and. What is left behind, and how what that community looks like, and it's not all like gloom and doom. You see people building lives for themselves that are good, but then you also see the bad parts. Um, and it's really, it's really well done. It's really fascinatingly woven, um, and I just thought it was amazing. And I, I think I came across a reference that maybe Octavia Butler like read it and recommended it. So I'm perhaps not alone in finding there <laughs> there's some similarities. So again, that is Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson.
0: Okay. Um, my next pick is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which I'm sure you will not be surprised to know is my kindred read-alike. Read <laughs> um, I, I didn't even say that in my notes. I put alternate history of slavery. So there you go. Um, so, I have, you know, how much do I even need to say about this? Like, it's won a bajillion awards. It won the Pulitzer. It was long-listed for the Man Booker and the National Book Award, right? Um, all of these things. So uh, it's about a, a woman named Cora who's born onto a plantation in Georgia as a slave. Um, her mother is gone. She, Her mother was a runaway slave who was never found, um, was never... Like recovered, uh, and so she's kind of an outcast among her fellow slaves. Everybody gives her kind of the side eye, um, and she is, you know, suffering at the hands of the people who enslave her. Um, as, as it's again trigger warnings, right? Like it's very violent, as one would probably expect. Um, and then a new man shows up at her plantation. A new slave. His name is Caesar, um, who has come from Virginia. And tells her about the Underground Railroad, uh, and not encourages her necessarily, but just leaves the option open to her that like he's planning on running, and if she wants to come, this is what's happening. Uh, and so they decide to do it. They decide to take the risk and run. Um, the difference here is that in Whitehead's reimagining of the American South, the Underground Railroad is a literal thing. It's a it's a literal train that exists under the ground, like a subway, um, that was built by people's unknown, though he does give you some hints in the text. Uh, And it is intruding farther and farther south, intruding, according to the words of, you know, the plantation owners. Um, And they have heard rumor that there's a new stop on the Underground Railroad nearby. And if they can just make it there, they can get out of the south. Uh, And so they do. Initially, they make it to the first stop in the Underground Railroad, not without any difficulties or violence happening along the way, um, but they make it to South Carolina. Where they decide to stay, and South Carolina seems, despite the fact that it's still in the South, it seems like a very peaceful option for them. Um, there are like government programs set up for ex-slaves who have run um, to help them do X, Y, Z, get jobs, and all this sort of thing. But it's it, it's a, you know a mask on this very. Frightening reality of what's happening, and and Whitehead is pulling historical events from America's you know history because it's historical, um, and kind of mushes them together in this. South Carolinian pseudo horror utopia. Um, and so eventually they need to flee that as well. But while all of this is happening, a slave catcher named Ridgeway is chasing them. So they're being hunted. It's not just that they are escaping the South and their plantation and need to, you know, find somewhere safe to go. It's that they forever need to be going and pretending to be other people um, so that they aren't caught by this person who will chase them till the ends of the earth like this is his job um and he was also in charge of finding Cora's mother so he has like a personal vendetta against her and uh, because Cora's mother was never found and so he feels a bit like a failure so this is like a thing he is determined to do it is harrowing it's like one of the most harrowing just like heart in your teeth never gives never comes out just ugh it's so tense kind of books um And at the end, it's one of those things where you're like, I can't say that I enjoyed that, but I'm so glad that I read it, which is kind of how I felt after I read Kindred. So there you go. It's not just similar in theme, but in the feelings you'll have at the end of it. Um, So that's The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead.
1: All right. Before I do my next pick, I'm going to do our second sponsor, which is Annotated. It's our own annotated podcast, which is an audio documentary series about books, language, and reading. The episodes are between 15 and 25 minutes long, so perfect for a commute, and they cover a whole range of bookish topics. Um, Past episodes have covered how J.P. Morgan's personal librarian became the most glamorous librarian in the world, even as she guarded a dangerous secret. There's the story of how 1984 came to be written and how the CIA got involved. Um, There's an exploration of why we care so much about the Oxford comma uh, that contains a very nerdy love story so if you like podcasts like this american life planet money or 99 Percent invisible we think you're going to love annotated um, one of the reviews left on the show says this podcast fills a gap in my listening life that i didn't even know was there which is lovely so you can get annotated for free on apple podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast please do give it a listen All right, let's see. My next pick, oh yes, is, okay, I was trying (laughs) to find a comp for Xenogenesis, which is hard because there's not that many people doing aliens in the way that Octavia Butler did aliens. So I don't actually have aliens in my pick, but instead it is more that it matches up with the themes of Xenogenesis, which to my mind are this question of compulsion and consent. Like, what... What does consent look like when you are being compelled by circumstances to give a specific answer or to behave in a very specific way? Um, and my pick for this is the Machineries of Empire series by Yoon Ha Lee, which was mentioned before. I am obsessed with it. The third (laughs) book just came out and it is one of the best third books in a series I think I've ever read. It's really, really good, y'all. Um... But this series is so interesting because it got progressively more intense in terms of theme as it went along. Like the action is really intense in the first one, and you are just dropped into this really fascinating really different sort of world where the laws of physics depend on what calendar you're using and the predominant calendar runs on torture and you're just like what is going on like ha! Huh? and then the main <laughs> character is possessed by a disembodied like tactician from the past and maybe he's a psychopath and you're like what is happening um but it all works somehow magic and As the series goes along, in the second and third books, you sort of dig deeper into what it means to have the calendar system that runs on torture and, and also the soldiers in this universe sort of have been embedded with this thing called formation instinct that makes it basically impossible for them to disobey an order from somebody higher up than them and you're just like oh sure but then when you know as Lee develops the story he also starts developing the further and further implications of this and it gets darker and darker but also more and more interesting and it's a really well done. Um, so, as I said, in the first book, you're following Kel Charis, who is a captain in the military, um, who is in sort of mid battle when you meet her, and she decides to pull sort of a really crazy stunt to win the battle. And she's pretty sure it's heretical, uh, you know, based on what she, the maths that she uses. She's like a math genius. Um, and she's she does it anyway because she wants to, she wants to win the battle, she wants to save her troops and she figures, well, you know, they'll court-martial me or maybe they'll kill me afterwards, but at least I'll have done my job. And they're like, oh, cool. We're not going to court-martial you. Instead, we're going to, like, implant a ghost into your brain because we have a much bigger battle that needs to be won and we think maybe you could win it with this ghost that now we're putting in your brain who also by the way killed a lot of people hundreds of years ago like massacred people so you know (laughs) nbd (laughs) it's gonna be fine it's not fine um but yeah it's a it's a really like it's so complex and it's so singular it's not like anything else that i've read and Yunha Lee also does a really killer job with point of view in this series, which I think is similar to Xenogenesis in that the books switch point of view as they go along. And by withholding certain points of view, you're also withholding information. Um, and it kept me totally on the edge of my seat in certain circumstances because it's like, I feel like I know a thing, but I can't tell if I'm right because I don't have access to that point of view. So I'm just waiting for it to be confirmed confirmed. confirmed or denied. Um, and it just sucks you right through the story, or at least it did for me. Um, but, but again, like I said, it's really dark. So there's, you know, torture and rape and coercion and suicide and all of these things that you're just like, okay, yeah. How would, how would my personal choices work in this environment? Like what choices would I even be able to make? Um, and the answers are not easy or fun or, you know, happy in a lot of circumstances but there are these kernels of hope and there is this very fine balance between what makes somebody a monster and what makes somebody fighting for what they believe is right Uh, and i think that's something that octavia butler also was working with so again that is the machineries of empire by yun ha lee all right um my next pick is american
0: war by Omar El Akkad, which I also selected for its near future dystopia, and now a woman has is going to decide the fate of everyone, um, theme, <laughs> <laughs> thing that it has going on. Um, so in this uh, near future, like t- it takes place in the twenty seventies, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the main character's name is Surat. It's actually Sarah, but um, she like combines her middle initial. Anyway, not relevant. Surat, chestnut. And she's born in Louisiana. And she's a little girl when the Second American Civil War breaks out. And it is similar to the First American Civil War in as much as the deep, the states of the Deep South have seceded um, over, this time over oil. The North has put into place a fossil fuel ban. And it's not every state of the South, it's like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. South Carolina, I think, um, are, you know, up in arms about being told what to do by the federal government. It all sounds very familiar um, over this oil ban. And they secede from the union. At the same time that this is happening, a plague-like illness breaks out in South Carolina. And so that um, state is quarantined. Also, climate change is happening. And so this coastal areas are flooded. Florida, I'm pretty sure if I remember, I just looked at the map a few days ago to refresh my memory. But um, Florida is gone. And most of the Louisiana lowlands are also gone and Texas looks all kind of different um, so the the map has changed there it's a similar situation um, to the Rebecca Roanhorse book where refugees are fleeing the coastal areas and moving farther and farther inland the the federal government has relocated its headquarters from DC to Michigan somewhere in the Midwest um, and so all of that is happening right at the same time that uh, this little girl who is our, our focus Surat is growing up. Um, her father is killed and her mother takes her and her brother and her twin sister to uh, a refugee camp called Camp Patients for quote-unquote displaced people. Um, and her life begins to be really shaped by The death of her father and how her family is treated in that refugee camp, and so Surratt essentially becomes a southern terrorist. Uh, She meets somebody in that camp who starts to influence her way of thinking and who she and should and should not blame for what's happened to her family, and she becomes like this very kind of like deadly instrument of war, essentially in the American Civil War, the second one, second American Civil War. She's not. You know, I was thinking about Parable of the Sower, obviously, when I was reading this book, and in Parable of the Sower, I can't remember the main character's name in that book to save my life. What is it? Whatever. The main character is, um, she's not peace-loving, she's not pacifist by any means, but she creates a new religion um, and kind of essentially a commune um, as a way of bringing people together and trying to knit back, you know, communities after all these terrible things have happened similar terrible things to what's happening in American War. The difference is that Surratt in American War takes a very different um, tact. She has no spiritual or religious belief system really to speak of. She's certainly not here to build a commune. Um, she's just got a lot of, like, rage. Uh, and I will say that it's a little bit heavy-handed on the, tr- the like, tropes or the cliches about Southerners. Um, it feels like the author is operating under this assumption that there are no progressives at all in the South. Uh, which is obviously not true. Hi. Um, But, yeah. But, I mean, he's also, like, not wrong, right? (laughs) Like, at the same time that you're like, oh, have you ever really been to Mississippi? You're kind of like, well, okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, fair. (laughs) So, grain of salt. I am giving this uh, to you with a grain of salt. But the way that he builds this world and Surat's way of thinking specifically, or not even thinking, but, like, her just, the way that she Evolves as a character from just a little girl in a bad situation to a really deadly, kind of unsympathetic person um, is, I don't know, educational, I guess. Um, so that's American War by Omar El Akkad
1: alright let's see the thing that Machineries of Empire didn't do so much I mean it does play with genetics but not in the same way that the Xenogenesis series played with and I was trying to find another series that does that thing that Octavia Butler was exploring with genetics and it meant that I can recommend a series that I love Um, it's the Revolution series by Stephanie Salter and it is three books they're all out they're all out so so, you know, I don't have to wait on this one. And it is so interesting what Salter has done. So, this is sort of a future. Um It is mostly, I think it's almost all in America. Uh, So future America where a plague has struck humanity and humanity turned to genetic engineering to defeat it. So a lot of people did die, but humanity came out of it with like a way deeper understanding of how to tweak our genome so that we are healthier generally and like fixed a lot of different kinds of things. Um, So human genetics has taken a big leap forward. However, it also meant that now, instead of humanity having, you know, lower class citizens, excuse me, citizens based on skin color primarily, um, or, you know, economic inequality, there is this new subclass created by these advances in genetic engineering, where corporations were like, well, hey, like, since we can, you know, sort of fix this, like, couldn't we also create a, A being that has like flippers and can do underwater work without needing a diving suit or can see in infrared or can hear or is, you know, like basically like what if we made people with quote unquote, not really superpowers, but gave them different, you know, abilities, but also they're our property. Like we own them. They're not people. They're gems is what they call them. Um, so they're like just, they're literally genetically designed and engineered from you know start to finish by these corporations who then send them out to do jobs and pay for their keep with the money that is earned that way so you can you can see where I'm going with this <laughs> um, so it is like a hundred years after this system has started and the gems are finally starting to be recognized as people uh, not property and um, not everybody is happy about this and so there is a Sort of UN type council called to finally decide, like once and for all, internationally. Do gems have the same rights as humans? And it gets really deep into this question of like, what does it mean to be a human on the genetic level? Um, and if everybody's engineered to a certain extent, then like, is anyone human? And you get a bunch of different perspectives. Um, you get a scientist named Eli Walker who is presenting to this council his research on whether or not they are truly human. Um, you get an, a gem POV, several actually. And then you also Also, see a head of a corporation who's like, Whoo, Zakva, Zavka, excuse me, is like a real intense good villain. Um I like, she's like a little bit like Cruella DeVille in my head. <laughs> um, like, you know, the red lipstick and the really like, you know, intense cheekbones and just like going to stare you down kind of uh, evil lady. Um, and and so you you are following this moment in time when everything is sort of coming to a head. And there are, you know, religious fanatics who want all of the gems dead. Um, and there are just like all of these different factions swarming. Around this question of who who gets to be human. And I just thought it was so well done. It does have really dark, hard moments, but it's also a very hopeful series. And you get to follow a couple different sort of sections throughout the series as it goes on and see like okay from the start to finish like what is this evolving society look like and what are the new problems that come up when you think you've solved the old ones and it's really it's really fascinating i got totally sucked into it Uh, so again that's the revolution series by stephanie salter the first book is gem signs
0: Okay, um, my next pick is Binti by Nnedi Okorafor, and I picked this because of Dawn, because of weird things happening to people in space with squishy <laughs> aliens with tentacles. They even have tentacles. They do have tentacles. They do. They do. Like, I made that up, but that's not wrong. They do have tentacles. Hooray. Okay. Um, Binti, obviously, is the main character. She is a member of the Himba people, and she has been offered a place at a university called Umza, which is like, you know, the fanciest, smarty pansiest, higher learning institution in the galaxy. But she's the first person from her people to ever leave. Um, It's just like not a thing that the Himba do, and her decision to leave. Is uh, has a lot of repercussions for her personally. It means she's giving up her place in her family. She's not going to get married if she ever comes home. She's going to have this like you know tint of a person who left on her. Um, Also, her people uh, wear this clay that comes from a I think it was a lake near their town or village um, on their skin, and so she's got like a very limited supply of that that she's taking with her, and does just doesn't know she's you know scared, nervous, doesn't know how. She's going to maintain her sense of self uh, and all of her customs while she's traveling to this, you know, faraway place to learn. But it's what she wants to do, so she's doing it. So she gets on this ship, and at first, it doesn't go very well. People don't respect her. Um, everybody treats her very much as like the other uh, because she is the first member of the Himba people to ever like venture that far. Uh, and she she kind of gets the hang of it, right? Like she gets on the ship to make her way and starts making friends um, and. You think that this is going to be, like, a Harry Potter in space. Like, you think that you're going to read this little book about this girl getting on a spaceship and, like, making friends and discovering that, you know, we're all nerds together and, you know, found family and all of that. And then this alien race invades her ship and kills everyone. Everyone except her. She is the lone survivor. All of her friends, all of her... The people who aren't her friends, everyone on the ship is murdered by the Meduse, which is an alien race um, who has long been at war with humanity. Um and the people who run the university. She manages uh, through, I I won't get into how, but she manages to survive the attack and communicate with them, which has never been possible before. um, And realizes that they want to take the ship to the university because the people who are at the university have like wronged them in a very specific way. And they want retribution um, and to make this wrong right in their eyes. And so she kind of becomes their translator almost and like ambassador because it's what she has to do to survive. um, And The book is, like, just... It's so complicated. And it took such a left turn from what I expected. I didn't go in having read the synopsis or anything. I just have... You know, I've read other books by Nadia Corfor, and so I picked this one up because I like her other work. Um, But it was just not... It's not Harry Potter in Space. It is not girl becomes nerd friends found family stuff it is like why terrorism is a thing and what we could do to maybe fix it a little like that is not the theme that I went into this expecting but that's what I got (laughs) and it was great (laughs) Um, it's just brilliant and it is a novella it's like this little little book I don't know that it's sold as YA but she is a teenager in the book you know she's like going off to school to university um so she's a young adult um so I think it would be fine for YA readers but I just loved it and it is the first book in a series so you can you know there are more so that's Binti by Nnedi Okorafor
1: nice I think I think I've covered all the ground I want to cover actually yeah Great. <laughs>
0: I had one more. I can say, I'll just mention it really quickly. It was Infomocracy uh, by Malka Older, which I feel like, you know, we've recommended on this show enough that I don't have to go into tons of detail about it. But um, Octavia Butler's books are often very concerned with, like, what makes a society and a democracy. And this is a near future look at at that question where democracy as a thing isn't really real. Everybody's living in these micro democracies, which are like populations of a hundred thousand. And there is much scandal and Facebook style overlord, Google ish, information systems and political intrigue. So it's a lot of fun. And it's a trilogy. The third one comes out in September. So it will soon be complete if that's a thing that you like require of your reading. So now I can be done. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Um, please go leave us a rating, or review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors. Um, you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram, mostly at I'm Amanda
1: Nelson. And- I am on Tumblr. It's JenIRL.tumblr.com. And that is Jen with two N's.
0: And thank you for joining us for our very special Octavia Butler episode. We will back we will be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week, and we will talk to you later.